Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Class Limited does not promote any hosts or guests individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening. My name is Dr. Richard Selznick, and I want to welcome you to School Struggles. I am proud to be part of the Coffee Clutch team, and on School Struggles, we talk about a range of topics, including learning disabilities, dyslexia, special education, ADHD, and a whole host of other interesting topics that affect your child. I am a child psychologist and the director of the Cooper Learning Center, which is a part of the Department of Pediatrics, Cooper University Healthcare. We're located in Voorhees, New Jersey. I am the author of two books, both published by Sentient Publications. The first one's The Shutdown Learner, Helping Your Academically Discouraged Child, and the more recently published School Struggles. And you can learn more about these at my website, which is www.shutdownlearner. That's one word, shutdownlearner.com. And the site's loaded with blogs and lots of other tidbits for parents. And the books are also available on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. And it's the goal of this show that we talk in down-to-earth, plain language for parents to help them understand their child better. And I can think of no better person than my guest, Fran Sherman. Fran Sherman is a social worker in LCSW. She's a psychotherapist. She's a public speaker, a media personality. We have a big bio. I'm not, I can't read all of it, but Fran is a television personality who has appeared on the, the Today Show, HLN, True TV, Fox News, Fox Live, The Daily Buzz, The Morning Show, Daytime, and the local NBC, ABC, and Fox News affiliates in the West Palm Beach market. Fran provides expert commentary on the news of the day and has done segments involving love, relationships, parenting, bullying, anxiety, stress, the economy, and issues related to educating our children. Fran has appeared throughout the country at small seminars and before larger groups speaking on a myriad of issues and she continues to work in private practice and will also see clients via Skype or in telephone sessions. Uh, you can reach Fran at www.asktherapistfran, that's one word, asktherapistfran.com and her email is fran at asktherapistfran.com. We'll give you that later on as well. So Fran, welcome to the show. I just want to add that I've known Fran for much of my life. She's uh, a very dear friend, and I, I really am thrilled that she's on. So hi, Fran. 
Hi, Richard. Thank you so, so much for having me on your show. And yes, we've been friends forever, and I really appreciate you asking me to be a guest today for such important topics. Yeah, thanks. Um, we're we're talking today, uh, you know, an area that's right in in Fran's sweet spot, so to speak, which is um, she. Uh, we're going to be talking about stressed out teen girls, uh, with the title of "Cutting to Cope." Uh, in a really tough topic that Fran knows a whole lot about. So yes. talk to us about what's what's going on out there. Give us, give us some you know, Richard, it's it's really incredible, and I'm, I'm really happy to talk to people today to really let them know what's going on with our kids kind of all over the country and, and probably all over the world. Cutting has become, and I literally mean cutting, kids take knives and scissors and blades and you name it and self-mutilate. And I have worked with kids for years and years now that do this and literally have scars all over their bodies. It's done for so many reasons, but the first and the main reason is due to poor self-esteem, stressors, Anxiety. I mean, but but, and, and so much of it goes back to school issues, peer issues, inability to really function well in the school environment, which then goes back to their self-esteem. So it's it's a really huge problem, and I think that so many parents are not aware of what of what is happening. And in fact, just just a quick thing, I was referred a client maybe about four months ago, she, this girl is a, is a golfer. She's a 14-year-old golfer, and she was having knee surgery. And during the surgery, the surgeons found cuts between her legs, which often kids do. They cut in places where people cannot see. And she then, her, her parents did find out that she was doing this self-mutilating behavior. And I started to see her, and it goes back to, her insecurities with education. She happens to have ADHD, which she was not treated for. So she was doing homeschooling and failing, and she comes from a very intelligent family, and her self-esteem was about zero, even though she was she had so much success in other parts of her life. Um, so it's it's becoming almost epidemic and epidemic proportions and really tragic in our society. Yeah, I'd like to hear more about um, this girl because I think that you had suggested that we talk a little bit about this case. In, in a, you know, just, just further what you're, how you're helping her. I, in the article that, but in a second, the article that you sent me from Psychology Today, a line struck me that talks about a girl named Molly who is a 16-year-old junior and says Molly remembers a time when she enjoyed both school and her activities, but is far too burned out now to enjoy either. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow. You know, I certainly see some of these kind of kids and, mm-hmm. you know, some of the things I've written about tie into this. But, wow, it just struck me. She's so burned out at 16. What, so, what? Do you, I mean, my, maybe Molly is a prototype or maybe you want to talk about this girl. You know, what, what, how do they get so burned out? What is going on out there? It's, you know, there. I, I think... The number one thing that happens, and, and yes, burned out, that's a great term, and Molly is the prototype. And 
I would tell you that I see girls from the age of 12 through 20s that that self-mutilate. They, number one, I think one of the things we're all very aware of in this country is the rate of bullying. Kids are bullied because they're too short or too heavy or they're they're not comprehending things in school or they think they're not comprehending things in school. Burnt out because it's so hard to go to school and have nobody to sit with in lunch. The countless kids that I talk to, that I have spoken to and worked with, that during lunchtime, and this makes me very, very sad, actually sit in stalls in the bathroom because they don't want to be around peers because they feel so humiliated. It's, it's so, funny. I, it's funny. It's not funny, but it, it just two things trigger in my mind. One will make you smile. Um, mm-hmm. I, you mentioned lunch, and it's one of the um, one of the things that I will ask kids. Uh, you know, who I, when I have a sense that they're not the most popular of kids, I'll say, "So tell me about lunch. You know, what, 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 what do you sit with?" That's mm-hmm. number one. But the second part that oh, I think will make you smile is I remember my dad, who you knew quite well, yes. um, Mel Selznick, who used to have kids trucking in and out of. He was a principal of a school on Staten Island, and he used to have kids truck in and out of his school during lunch because he knew that kids were going to get picked on or were left by themselves, and he made a you know, kind of a safe place for them to come into. So it makes me think about him. Mm-hmm. Well, your dad was a, an extremely special man, and unfortunately, we don't, we have some phenomenal educators, but you know, educators yeah. have so many demands on yeah. them that they don't have the time very often to pay attention to those kids, right. and those kids do escape because they can't handle it. And actually, it's always one of my first questions to kids as well: Who do you sit with at lunch? What do you do at lunchtime? And I will tell you that the vast majority of these kids who are self-mutilating isolate during lunch, whether it be going into a a safe place like a guidance office or like really retreating to a bathroom or sitting alone in the lunchroom and reading a book. It's really so – it's heartbreaking. It really is. Um, So lunch is actually a big issue. So these kids are bullied. They start to do poorly in school. They don't want to go to school because obviously no kid that's being picked on all the time wants to go to school. And then, as we all know, right now social media, they're on so many sites. Every day it's like a new site that I haven't even heard of, and it's another way for kids to be humiliated by peers. Right. Um, so it's sort of like when I, I, my, my sort of joke to parents is if you think you know the sites, like, you know, those of us who think we're sort of hip to what's going on out there, you know, right. uh, I said, look, they've already beaten you by a lot. You know, you think, you know, by, oh, I'm checking, fa- I'm checking Facebook. I said, they've been long off Facebook. They're not, Correct. That's, they that's, say to me, Facebook is passe. Know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the top sites that they're going to these days? What are you the know, some wins that I are mean, showing they're, up? There's a lot on Instagram, but, um, you know, there are so many. I mean, they use Tumblr a lot now, and then they tell me sites that I've – because they go – there's so many. There's this one particular site, and, and I apologize for not recalling the name because literally these names and things change every yeah, day. Sure. But um, this one site is anonymous, and kids actually send nasty messages to kids. 
and I say to them, why are you on these sites? Well, I can just delete the messages. Yeah. Um, And so they're not, they're on these sites that are anonymous, nothing positive comes from it. And you're right, uh, Facebook is, you know, people our age use Facebook, but the kids no longer use Facebook. Um, right. You know, sometimes sometimes Twitter, but that's kind of passe for them. And, yeah. Um, yeah. and then there's all these websites. There are countless websites that actually tell kids how to cut, safe ways to cut. They encourage them to cut and self-mutilate. Yeah. There are sites that actually teach kids to be anorexic. I, I need to I need diaries to get, about anorexia. Yeah, you sent me that article. No, you sent me at that point, and I was in the article. And I that was one of my questions to you, and I needed to get my mind around that one. I said, mm-hmm. where I, I need to really, for, for you to elaborate, what how, how could these sites be encouraging cutting? I, get, help me out with that one. It's, it's really so mind-boggling. You know, I, I spend a lot of time, uh, actually twice a week, with, with a 16-year-old um, girl who is physically just beautiful and very, very bright, but has been self-mutilating since she is 12 years old. She's now 16. She has so many scars on her hand, on her arms, on the back of her neck, on between her legs, everywhere on her on her stomach, in places that they can hide. Um, she started self-mutilating because. People told her she was ugly. Well, people told her she was ugly because she was so pretty that I'm sure they were jealous of her, but obviously a 12-year-old can't, doesn't get that. Um, So she started to find all these sites on the Internet that literally she explained to me how you find these sites and you can just Google them actually, and they give you tips on the best ways to cut. They encourage you, they tell you where to cut where to cut to not die, where to cut to die, how to hide them. I mean, everything that you can imagine. So, yeah, there are people everywhere putting this out for kids. And whether it's another kid putting it out, but it's, it's, it's as you say, it's mind-boggling, and it's incredibly sad. What's what's the relief that that comes from this cutting? What what do they get in a in a sense in a in a positive way? And I don't mean that I don't mean positive, but like there's something right. that they're getting as a sort of payoff. What is that? What every kid every kid universally describes is they feel so much emotional pain that when they feel the physical pain, they kind of forget at that moment about the emotional pain it's it's this release and then kids have described it as a state of euphoria for a moment um and and actually the best way i describe this to adults because we don't get it is right if you get really really angry or really upset i think all of us at one time or another have kicked the wall or punched the wall or just gotten that aggression out and at that moment your hand doesn't hurt your foot doesn't hurt um, and I think kids get into such a state that they start to cut and it doesn't hurt it doesn't hurt them and they actually like watching the blood come out of their arm it is or their whatever wherever they're cutting it's a release to see they're they're letting that pain go by watching watching the cutting. Um, 
they all also say that, you know, within several hours, they then become remorseful about their behavior. So it's a cycle, and it also becomes addictive behavior because the brain starts to rewire. So it is a coping skill. Obviously, it's a very poor coping skill, a very primitive coping skill where, where sadness goes to cutting equals release of emotion, and the brain becomes rewired, and it just it becomes habitual. Now, we've, we've been talking, and we will continue to talk about the girls, um, mm-hmm. and I do think girls, from my observation, are, it's, it's, a, it's a plus side and a minus side. The plus side is that the girls are really on the move, and they're really kicking the boys' rear end in terms of, you know, um, their executive functions on average. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're very oriented to school and all that. But the downside is that, you know, I keep seeing kids, the girls, again, who if they don't get straight A's, they're, they're a mess. I'm like, straight A's? What kind of standard is that? You know, so mm-hmm. – so, there's that whole piece with the girls. But what about, what about the boys? And is that are they, they that doesn't see they don't seem to be as much in this realm that you're talking about. I'm really glad you asked that question because yesterday, Alex, who I you know is the 16 year old girl, said, "Fran, don't forget to talk about the boys because boys do it. Boys cut." Now, boys don't. Do you sense that it's on average as much, or they are they doing? No, no, no. It's a much smaller. It's a much smaller amount. Okay. Because I think that boys, in general, can be more physically aggressive. So, I think a lot of them, boys who are angry, fight physically. They get out their aggression that way. They also get their out their aggression by playing sports, whether it be football or hockey or soccer, things that are actually physical. So. Boys are clearly much more physical than girls. Well, and, yeah, yeah. Sorry. And they and they release their emotions that way very often, um, and and many of them don't have that same sense of they have school pressures for sure, but they don't. They don't. Yeah. When boys fight, they forget about it the next day. Girls pick on girls forever. And some of the kids I wanted, the boys that I, I see a lot of boys, and the boys I see, I want them to have school pressures. I mean, I'm joking, but it's like, you know, they don't have enough pressure. They, they you know, like, come on, let's get a little, you need a little anxiety to do, to do well in school. And I, exactly. I, and the other thing was, I, I was thinking as you were talking about my son and his peer group, you know, they were getting a lot of their, aggression now, which I was not approving, but this just seems like an outlet through, you know, their internet, you know, their online video playing and all those right. stuff that they're doing, which oh, that's a whole other topic, but, you know. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. And I know my own son, you know, played hockey since he has been like seven years old. He's mm-hmm. now 22. And since he's about 14 years old, it has been, you know, physical hockey, not, you know, they, they actually check and hit each other, and, um, and yeah, they get out all their stuff there yeah. on, the, on the court, you know, on the ice. So, so. Yeah. So, so if a kid like Molly or Alex, and if they're very good at covering this up, how do parents even know or how do you as a therapist find out about this if, it, if they're so good at kind of going underground, so to speak? 
Yeah, um, that's probably the biggest problem is that kids do hide it, and it takes a lot for parents to find out. Sometimes parents find out because the kids actually tell them, so some kids cut for attention, um, and they will tell people. I I find out because even if the parents don't know, that's always one of my first questions with an adolescent girl because all they do is talk about it. I mean, it's, it's again, it's very pervasive. Um, parents, you know, again, often are the last ones to know. Sometimes they find out because the kids have gone to a medical doctor and it's seen sometimes they might see a scar or a cut. But one of the things I'd love to say right now is that parents need to be aware and really talk to their kids about this because it's everywhere. And I asked my my 15-year-old niece the other day, who's um, a ninth grader in, in high school. She's going into the 10th grade. And I said, Julia, do you, you know, do you know anybody who cuts? And she said, yeah, but, you know, none of my friends do. So this is, again, just uh, just a casual question, and she knew kids who cut. Um, it's, it's really, really hard to find out if kids hide it. And, um, you know, sometimes these kids are so depressed that the parents will then take them to therapy or maybe a school a teacher might say something that your kid's really depressed, and often it also comes with school failure. So, um, yeah, it's like that. It's just, like a toxic brew, right, of sorts, isn't it? Exactly. It's it's one thing begets the next, begets the next, begets the next, and so what I've seen with a lot of these kids as well, school failure, they begin to want not to go to school. So parents then become aware, okay, why is my child not going to school? And then I know it's become very pervasive here in South Florida um, that kids homeschool or they do virtual school or they do whatever so that they can get away from their peer relationships that are causing them all of that distress, which, you know, professionally I can say that I think it's one of the worst things to do. For most kids, not, you know, to, to not, especially kids who do virtual school and are truly home alone in school without... Because they're isolated more, they're so more, much more isolated, you say? Absolutely, absolutely. And then it's very hard to resolve their issues with being, with school failure, being around peers in school, you know, developing all of those healthy, normal relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you and I have been in this business a while. Do you do you um, think that this is a I don't mean a purely a new phenomenon, but do you see it as an increased phenomenon that, you, that you've noted in your career? I'm not even talking statistics, just in your experience. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I I can say to you that you know if I'm treating somebody in their 30s who has suffered from depression, anxiety, etc they they don't, you know, they haven't cut in their lives. I mean, a few have, but, you know, then you get to the 20s. I mean, some, the younger 20s, and then the teens, it's just I see a lot of teenage girls. And I would say to you probably, and obviously they're coming to me for help, but I would say 90% of them have cut at one time or another, or continue to cut, or and certainly know lots of kids who cut. So, yes, it's become just inc- an increasing phenomenon. 
and 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 these are kids who you know suffer from you know some school learning issues, some anxiety problems, some depression, but not seriously mentally ill kids because seriously right. mentally ill kids obviously have been self mutilating for a very long time but and you you, you mentioned before, like body image and that kind of thing. What's what's that kind of nexus or come together of, I don't know, eating disorders and cutting? Is there a cart that they come to often co-occur? Oh, you know, absolutely. Because you know, with bulimia and anorexia, you know, there's so much self-abuse. You know, the the purging. Um, it, the binging, the purging, all of that is so abusive, the starving, and so it's another way to to punish yourself. It's another way to hurt yourself. So m- many, many kids that have eating disorders um, do, you know, do, you know, cut as well. Um, regardless of whether or not the kid currently has an eating disorder, most kids, regardless of whether or not they're thin medium, heavy, they all think they're heavy. They all think, I mean, they look at TV, they look at magazines, they look at all these images that aren't real, and I always try to tell them these aren't real, these are all photoshopped, and um, and they all think that they're just fat and ugly. I mean, it's yeah. that's the best way to describe Very it. They, that's Very what sad. they, yeah, Very it really sad. is. Yeah. Well, we've gone past... I told you go by fast. We've gone past the halfway mark. <laughs> so mm-hmm. what what would be the – let's start getting into the Fran's top advice, Fran Sherman's top advice, you know, assuming that most people listening to this are parents. So you might have an Alex out there listening to this who's a kid who might, you know, listen to some of your top points. So what are the top suggestions in terms of – either understanding this better, approaching it, you know, top top ten things, right? Mm-hmm. We get to ten, but some of your top points. Well, I would say, number one, parents, talk to your kids. Talk to them, you know, no matter how young they are, because kids, even in elementary school, you know, fourth grade, fifth grade, are starting to hear this. They really are. Um, talk to them. Ask them if they know anybody who's doing these kind of things. Really, and and I think if you open up a discussion that way, do you know anybody? Have you have you heard about it? And obviously, you know, you have to use your judgment with age appropriate. But I can certainly say middle schoolers, for sure, know kids who are doing this, and ask them so, what they know about it and what they've heard about it. Um, so try to open if, the discussion and not not in a way that's grilling them or putting them on the spot. Absolutely, and one of the things that I've always said to parents, and I certainly used with my own kids, I've always said, no matter what you're doing, right or wrong, good or bad, just be honest with me, and we'll get through it. And I think if you approach your kids in that way, you know, they're more apt to tell you because you're letting them know that you're going to be there to help them. You know, all the kids say, make sure, you know, if my parents scream at me or freak out, you know, it, it obviously creates more anxiety and makes them not want to share. But Yeah, well, so, yeah. and then, then the, of course, this the parent has to sort of rest with his or her own anxiety. If they do say they either know of friends or themselves cutting, then their, mm-hmm. you know, their anxiety is activated very rapidly, I would assume. Right, and I always say to parents, you know, it's not your fault. It's not your yeah. fault. You know, you... It, 
you know, as parents, we all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect, but, yeah. you know, kids are doing this because of they, they see other kids doing it, and there's so much peer pressure, um, and most parents are not aware of what's going on, and that's why I think it's so important to open up that discussion right. just to be aware and let, and you know, I think then the next thing to do is let your kids know if they are doing anything like that to please let them know right away because that it, it can be seriously dangerous that kids do die and kids think it's you know oh nothing you know every kid thinks they're invincible and that it's a joke and you know nothing nothing will really happen but things do happen and kids die they die from self-mutilation um the other you know another thing if you find out that your child is cutting, obviously, please bring them to their physician and then, you know, just to make sure that they're medically okay. And then therapy is is obviously an extremely important step because they really need to get to learn effective coping skills because this obviously is is used as a coping skill, but it's not a healthy coping skill. Yeah. There, there are a lot of therapies out there, and I, I know everybody's big on cognitive behavioral and other types of therapies, but it also strikes me that, and I would imagine you would be like this, and I'd like you to comment on it, that with the kids you work with, I would imagine that your position with them as a therapist is to, number one, understand them and establish a really good working relationship, and that it's not so, I would, again, imagine, so goal-focused or behavioral focus as much as trying to get have that kid form an alliance with you so that they feel that you are on their team, so to speak. Do you find yourself doing know, that that's, with kids? That's absolutely true. I mean, like anything else, you know, therapy is a relationship. And I think it's it's number one, establishing that rapport, establishing that alliance, establishing the trust, and letting the, the kid know that, you know, it, it's not so easy to trust, but also let them know that what you share with them is confidential unless they're really being destructive, you know, and really seriously harming themselves. And as well, um, letting them know that you're not judging them, that you're there to help them so... Yeah, sorry. A therapist yeah, no, does not have to report. A, a therapist doesn't have to report right away to the parent if uh, there's been cutting going on. You know, it's a real judgment call. Okay, so if a kid is doing um, real harm, then yes, what I always do is with the the kid. Um, after, you know, again, if I think they're in clear danger, I, absolutely, I say something immediately. Um, it, but and, and generally, you know, that's a really good, important question. I would say 95% of the time I will say to the, to the child, listen, we need to tell your parent, but we're going to tell them together. Because obviously yeah. them telling the parent alone is much too overwhelming, but you want to do it in a way that you're not going to lose that child, that they're never going to, that they're not going to ever want to come back to you because then you've lost them. So yeah. you want to let them know that you're on their team and that you're going to help them let their parent know and explain to their parent why they're doing it and that it has nothing to do with their, you know, obviously it has it could have relationship issues to do with their parent, but sure. it's not their parent's fault that they are cutting. Sure. So, as, a, as, a, as one of your top points, you also try to uh, 
engage the school on some level, like speak to the, uh, a therapist or a counselor at the school, or do you find yourself being more on your own with this and with the patient or with the child? You know, um, unfortunately, in Florida, as in many other states, you know, I worked in the New York City schools for, for 10 years as a therapist, and then here for 12 years, but only with a very specialized population, there really aren't therapists in schools which is a real tragedy. So there's really nobody to reach out to at the school. Occasionally there may be a guidance counselor who the kid goes to um, because they can't go to, the, can't go to lunch or something like that. And in that respect, I might speak to them. But usually, um, unfortunately, there's nobody at school to reach out to. So it's generally working with the parents. And sometimes the psychiatrist that I work with. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about That's so funny. I was going to ask you about psychiatry and its role here. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. How how does that work? Very, very important role. Um, Most often when a kid is self-mutilating, they're self-mutilating because they're depressed and they're anxious. And sometimes um, they... Well, I can say to you that all the time, if they're self-mutilating, I always want them to be seen, at least for an evaluation by the psychiatrist, because I always think two heads are better than one. So, um, you know, family history, if there's a family history of depression, anxiety, whatever, then obviously it's even more important if the parents are taking medication because of, you know, any kind of mental health issue. It's, It's extremely important because obviously we all know that this is, well, we don't all know, but you and I both know that this is brain chemistry, and I want to let parents out there know that this is brain chemistry, so much of it. The, the actual behavior is not brain chemistry, but depression, anxiety, ADHD has a lot to do with how our brains are wired. So I always call it a brain disorder, not a psychological disorder. Some of the behaviors that happen become become, you know, happen because of the psychological manifestations of the disorder. But yes, very often um, these kids are treated with sometimes an antidepressant, um, sometimes other, you know, very often with ADHD medication, which helps them focus and then they feel better at school and they're then less likely to self-mutilate. But it's... um, I think very often the best treatment is the therapy with medication together. And again, not for every kid, you know, but um sure. Sure. But we do, I do refer to, I work with a psychiatrist and I do refer to her very often and if she gets a kid that's cutting, she will always refer to me. Right, right. Because she sure. clearly thinks that kid needs therapy. So Sure. In the wind down, you would here. You would also talk to me before about some um, excellent, you know, the good sites that are out there, excellent sites for parents to go to, and some good information uh, on the internet. Where would those be? Well, I think um, if you want to get really good information, the best places to go are the Cleveland Clinic, the National Institute of Mental Health. Um, you know, reputable medical sites um, where you're going to find real the real the real deal, not somebody's opinion. These are places where they do research, and you know the things that they write are backed up. So um, again, any 
any good medical facility, society that that really, you know, that that has a good reputation yeah. because yeah. anybody can put anything on the internet. We know that. So um, I always direct people, you know, again, the Cleveland Clinic has great sites, National Institute of Mental Health, great places to go. Those are two of the places that I send people or, or the Mayo Clinic, um, you know, and they're, they always have places for, you know, you can look up depression, anxiety, self-mutilation, um, so, so those are, the, I think, the best places to get information. Do, do you find do you, that once that, that there's a, a sense that the, a child is, in a sense, out of the woods? Is there a point where you kind of start to relax a little bit with this, where you feel like, okay, look, you know, things are clearly getting better. They're, you know, that they're, they're not cutting, and there's a more optimistic sense of of where things are with the kid. Do you find that happening? Oh yeah, I mean absolutely, absolutely. Um, My the point that I say a kid is really getting better is if they have not done any self mutilation for a month because it can take it it takes usually at least a month to begin Mm -hmm. to change a habit and to start to rewire the brain. So after a month, if there has been no you know no behaviors then I know I'm on the right, we're on the right path. Also, you know, other signals, you know, doing better in school, starting to go out again, actually, you know, just physically, smiling, body language, um, the way they're speaking. Um, And and one one thing that I just wanted to interject, you know, with, with the therapeutic component, doing some cognitive behavioral work I think is very important because with this work you really want to teach kids how to change their thinking and if they change their thinking they're going to start to change their behavior. So mm-hmm. it's really learning how to stop the negative thoughts and replace them. I do thought replacement, thought stoppage, and we work on other coping skills. So instead of cutting, it's putting ice on the wrist. It might be using um, a rubber band just very temporarily. Instead of cutting, it's a lot less harmful to kind of flick your wrist than to cut it. Um, but it's really learning, learning how to rethink. Yeah, yeah. Well, I knew that you'd be a great guest. Do you want to? Do you want to leave us with a couple of any other points? Just be, you know, I know you're very passionate about the topics. Are there any last minute points that you would like to you know, either remind uh, again, parents of or kids? Yeah, I think I think for parents, if you find out it's happening, try not to panic. I know it's scary. It's very, very yeah. scary because there's nothing worse than having our child have issues or problems. Know that there's help. Don't try to conquer it on your own because you, you really you really need, you know, everybody knows that kids listen to people outside their parents sometimes better than they listen to them. Yeah, um, sure. Really? So, <laughs> oh. Yeah, right. And um, oh, yeah. so try not to panic. Please don't blame yourself. Please don't blame yourself. Um, and, and don't yell. I mean, as much as we sometimes want to yeah. yell and scream, that yeah. will just send your child further away. Let them know that this is a crisis and we'll get through that this. we're going to get through it. 
Yeah. And also, oh, one, yeah. one, you know, if you take, and, and I also say, put the blades away, you know, put sharp knives away. But right. if kids want to cut, they're going to find anything. Yeah. It's pencil sharpeners. It's, sure. um, it's, it's anything, anything they can find. But try to so. at least, but try to at least, you know, reduce the number of objects that can be used. Around it, the house, exactly. Guess, try right? to remove those yeah. things that are right yeah. there in your house. But, you know, kids take paper clips. A quick <laughs> side any. question. A quick side sure. question. Do you often work with parents, like let's say with the girl you're talking about, do you frequently have sessions with them by themselves? I will often do sessions with, I'll do like a family session with okay. with the um, child and the parents, sometimes mm-hmm. the parents alone. It You know, yeah. every case is different. It really depends right. sure. what's what's sure. necessary, but always yeah. I I engage the parents because, you know, kids don't live in a vacuum. None of us do. So I think yeah. it's really important that, that everybody's on the same page. Fran, Fran, if you would, just give us, I gave at the beginning, your best contact information, website, telephone. How do you want people to reach you? Um, best way to reach me is actually my, my email address is fran at ask TherapistFran.com. That's A-S-K, therapist, T-H-E-R-A-P-I-S-T, Fran, F-R-A-N.com. And my phone number is 561-333-4858. But if you send me an email, um, you know, I will definitely reach out. And, you know, I'm in Florida, but I do do Skype. I do phone sessions. I do... You know, I, I'm as accommodating as, as I can possibly be. I and will I'm, reinforce that. Fran is a is a great resource. I think that hopefully you. if you've heard this interview, you, you pick up her passion, her sensitivity. She's got a great sense of humor. Uh, mm-hmm. She's an all-around great person to know. Um, and I, and I think she could be a great resource to you as a parent and a lot of comfort to parents in this very, very difficult subject. And, and uh, so, you know, I want to thank you uh, again. It's been great to reconnect through, through, uh, through this. Um, Same here. I want to thank everybody for listening. And you, I would invite you to go to my website, which is uh, shutdownlearner.com, as well as the Coffee Clutch website we have on the Coffee Clutch, which is the Coffee Clutch. That's K-L-A-T-C-H, thecoffeeclutch.com. There are great interviews with all kinds of um, hosts with with a whole range of topics and I and on mine there are there are a bunch of topics that are that are on that site as well. So Fran, thanks again and we will stay in touch and and take care. And my pleasure and let me just say one last thing for people who are listening. Richard Selznick is one of the kindest people I have ever known. We've known each other since childhood. He's always had the biggest smile, the warmest heart, and um, he's a wonderful man and a, a great psychologist. So anybody that can reach Thanks. out from there out in New Jersey, he's there. Thanks, Fran. I appreciate it. Thanks. You're welcome. Be well. You're Take welcome. care, Fran. Bye. You too. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye.